We're doing something in these weeks going up probably through May. Our host church, whether you're involved or not, our church is involved in home study groups, and we're studying how to build up one another, and we're studying the various one another's of Scripture, the one another's. What I'm doing in the pulpit is simply uh, Tim is giving me guidance and different one another's to explain corporately, but in your own small group, you're supposed to be going through this, and you'll find going through the book by Getz is a feast. By the way, our bookstore is open. You ought to visit that. You can probably get a book there. But that's what we're doing in the pulpit. We're just selecting one of those one another's. And uh, can we bring up the one another list, uh, maybe? Let's start out from where we were last week, that God is forming a divine community. Maybe we could pick it up there, the chart on what's going on, that doing life together as Christians, good, if we just bring that down some more. Let me explain it to you that the Trinity is a divine community. God has always loved. He has never been in isolation. He did not create us because he needed someone to love. He did not create out of necessity. He, uh, he created out of his good pleasure. But I think we forget to see, sometimes I say, yeah, we worship God. Matter of fact, I don't even like God talk when I hear people say, well, uh, God, that's okay. It's okay. I thank you, God, for dying for me. Well, who died for you? Who is Jesus? The second person of the Godhead, right? Uh, God, I love you. What would you you'd rather hear? Your child come in and say, uh, Man, I love you. Or Father, I love you. Well, I never heard any of you men. I'll tell you right now, I want to hear Dad. The car keys are given easier if I'm called Dad. If I'm just going to, hey, man, don't call me man. You ain't getting anything but that. I'm your father. Can you call God your father? Okay, see, on the basis of relationship, you, you come. On the basis of, of that relationship, you come. So we got a divine trinity. He makes human beings who quickly rebel. And so the relationship with God is broken vertically. And that devastation goes to all horizontal relationships. We are a messed up race. We hate, envy, dislike disagree. I mean, the race is not getting along together. We, we can't keep people married. We can't keep kids loving their folks. The race is messed up. Do you know that? If you haven't, you, you're not reading the paper or you're not, uh, you're not in a family. Families are messed up every, because of the influence of sin. So God, in saving us, he puts us in a new community. He calls it a new man, a new creation. The church made up of Jew, Gentile, male, female, what every tongue, every tribe. And now in that community, 
He has a different standard for how we are to relate to one another. And today we pick up one of the most difficult concepts to get a handle on, and that is he tells us to love one another. Wow, what a concept for me to have to unpackage. Uh, it's bigger than I can handle, so you'll forgive me, okay? So right now, uh, forgive me. Thank you. Uh, let's look at it. Three things I want to look about the concept. A definition for love, <clears throat> a demonstration of this love, and then how we are to display it, okay? And so uh, let's talk, uh, and we'll go to John 13. I wanted to read the whole narrative, but it's long, so I'll be selective. John 13, context. Jesus is going to the cross, will die with less than 20 hours from when he gives this talk. He will die. He's there. He knows the end has drawn near. The, he'll be betrayed that night. He'll be arrested that night. He will be taken before Herod, Pilate, and three Jewish courts. He will go through six trials before he's finally crucified. Okay? Then, uh, in this context, look at what was on his mind. John 13, 1. And I'm just going to lift out some verses to give you the feel. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that word is he loved them to the end, could be to the uttermost as much as he could, or right up to the last moments before the cross, I'm going to go out having loved you right up to the end. As you read the narrative, he stoops and begins to wash feet, does something that no Jew was allowed to do. Jews hired slaves to wash feet. No Jew washed another Jew's feet. That's what you got slaves of the Gentiles to do. So, here their leader, the king, is now in a stooping mode, washing their feet. Peter is offended. You will not wash my feet. He rebukes him. If I don't get to wash you, uh, you'll have no part in me. So we have that narrative. So he does it. He washes Judas's feet. He washes the feet of all 12 men knowing what all they will do. He tells them in the room, Judas, get with it. You know you're betraying me. Go pick up your 30 pieces of silver. Peter, don't tell me you won't deny me. You will deny me three times tonight. The rest of you guys, you're all going to bail out on me within 15 hours. I know you will. I'm telling you, you will. And then notice what he tells them in verse 15. After he's washed their feet, predicted their failure, verse 15. We'll pick it up. Oh, let's, let's go back. Do you know what I've done to you? Verse 12. No, not really. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And some groups literally take this literally, and they do it, and uh, it, it can be a very moving occasion. I've used it before in illustrations. I think what he's doing is not duplicate me as being a foot washer, but the spirit in which I did it, the stooping, the willingness to serve, the willingness to humble myself. I want you to note what I did. Then he says, verse 15, for I have given you an example, and you want to say, you're kidding, he's not, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If this model you saw me portray before you of humility, service, and great love, take and duplicate this and do it to one another, you'll be happy if you'll do it. Now, he goes through all this narrative. Now, go down to verse 34. Listen to what he says. A new commandment I give to you. Give me all your money. Now, that's the pastor's translation. What, what is this new commandment? Well, wait. I thought you were supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Leviticus 19. This is new. The new model for love becomes Christ. Anytime you want to ask, am I loving? Should I love? I don't feel like loving. Think Christ is the model for us, how we behave in this redeemed community, whether we will love. And he said, I commanding you, which is a word to the will, not to the emotions. Uh, I hear people ask me, Are we the, can we love people we don't like? Why, sure, we do it all the time. You don't have to like who you love. Jesus said, love your enemies. Now, it really feels bad when it's your brother that's your enemy. But he said, this love is even so great, it can love enemies. Do you love any enemies? And we're not talking about your family. Love one another. How? Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you'll beat them over the head with your Bible. How? If, and notice this, it's not if you love them, it's if you love one another. Huh? I hear people sometimes that get sour on church. I can't stand the church of church. I can't. I, I, people I work with unsaved, they're easy to love. No, no, guess what? They don't believe you have the real stuff until they find out you love people who are believers. This is family love. It works from the family of God out. You may have heard the saying, the light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. If we don't love one another, don't export it. 
And when they see us loving one another, and that's why the early church had love feasts, and the way they behaved toward even Roman governors that have written history about how believers acted one toward another, they were impressed not as much by the preaching as the community life they saw being evidenced among one another. Definition of love, what in the world is it? Love, the English language is bankrupt on the, what, how to say love. Uh, give you an example. Uh, the kid comes home and says, Mom, I love peanut butter. I, I love you too. And I love my dog. And I love, and all that love, what do you mean? A guy takes a gal out and he wants one thing, but he keeps saying all night, I love you, baby. I love you, baby. And I don't mean maybe. And after this date, I'll probably never see you again. It can be easily that way. Love your baby, love your baby. And we tell all of our girls, don't buy the line. They're lying through their teeth. How do you know what love is? The Greeks had four words for it. Great little book you ought to read, The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. Marvelous treatment of the concept. The four words were eros, it was used of physical love, of romantic love, and he'll develop that for you. There was family love, they called it storke. So see, the Greeks could say, I eros you, I storke you, I phileo you, I agape you. They had, they had word choices and, and changed. So eros, the physical, storke, family, selective, select group. Phileo was the, uh, the most common word. It was the word of affection, uh, the word of friendship, Philadelphia. Uh, the word actually uh, phileo comes from the word from the same womb, and it meant you have a, an affection for those have the same origin. So it was used that way. Then there was agape love that is used here in John, and that the New Testament pours new meaning into. But uh, so I think you've got these different concepts, modern concepts. Uh, I'm in love. Would you please define what that is? Uh, well, I'm in love. Let's see. And, and I, I really like to say this to couples married for a year and a half, going through their first big fight that you had to fight for them to keep their hands off of each other in premarital, and over here they can't even talk to each other. Say, do you still feel in love? Are you kidding? The feeling's gone. Because usually when we say young love, I'm in love, I feel in love, I can't live without them. And just in about 18 months, you find you can live without them. Can't live without, yes, I can. Can't live, you know. Here's a very sentimental kind of love. Look at this, physical attraction love. I've read this at Valentine's Banquet, and it has always moved the audience. John's girl is rich and haughty. My girl is poor as clay. John's girl is young and pretty. Mine looks like a bale of hay. John's girl is smart and clever. My girl is dumb but good. But would I trade my girl for John's girl? 
You bet your life I would. I saw this moving ad. This was this ad was in the New York Times, and it is so moving. Listen to this New York Times. A guy's trying to find a gal to marry, and he writes, New York newspaper, farmer, age 38, wishes to meet woman about 30 who owns tractor. Please enclose picture of tractor. <laughs> Forget her picture. I need a John Deere. I need a John Deere. Uh, so it's an emotion, uh, physical attraction, the playboy. Is that love, uh, playboy? No, no, it's lust. It's to satisfy the immediate drives for the moment. It's not to make covenant. It's not to make any commitments. Uh, it's um, without obligation. And yet when you come to divine love, there's five things about this love. And since we're, I didn't put that uh, in this outline, but there's five things about d divine love that should show up in us. Number one, the source of divine love. Uh, if I, when God says he loves me, the source of it is all in him. It's not because I'm lovable. And you see this in the Bible. God did not decide to love lovely people. He, he loved those who chose to be at enmity with him. So the source of love is in the nature of God. It's in the nature of God to love. So the source is the thing that changes it. The quality of the love is unconditional. Uh, I'll save you if you'll quit looking ugly. No, that's conditional. Uh, I'll save you um, if you meet these conditions, whatever. God's love was given unconditional. I know I'm saving a sinner. I know all of your faults. And so God unconditionally loves the goal of love, this is a big thing, the goal of love is the betterment of the object loved, not your betterment. I want to love you so you'll be better off. I like to call genuine Christian love is I want to benefit you, not hurt you. I want to benefit, I want your best. I'm willing to sacrifice to help you have your, now I may not like your personality because you have a gross personality. Lewis says some of us are born with indigestion and some of us are born with just terrible personalities. Let's admit it. Some people are 10 times more likable than others, right? That's okay. I, it's, she's with you, but I can't help it. For the evidence of God's love that works in us is action. It's not just pure emotion. It's a love that will do a deed. God so loved that he gave. He didn't just talk. And uh, finally, it's a love that will make a sacrifice. And I just wrote down for myself, as I thought of love, a desire to benefit you, to value the one love, 
to give to the one loved, to share your resources, to care, to communicate with. Uh, these are the ways that we really love a person, taking away the physical, the romantic. And here's the amazing thing about God's love, and I think here's the trick to us, that the love God's calling us to is more volitional than it is emotional. You can love anybody you choose to love. You can love anybody you choose to love. And I think sometimes we go on the feely feeling, and, and we all who've been married know feelings come and go, but do you get a divorce every time you feel like you're in a funk? No, no, no. You're still married whether it feels good or not. And... Uh, I mean, any relationship cannot just operate off of the moods, uh, the emotions. And I think that's what Hollywood markets, it's what poetry, so much is the mood. I'm in the mood for love. Okay, what mood is that? Um, say, I'm in the mood to fight. I'm in the mood to not love, but to have a, a battle. And so this love we're called to, as we see illustrated in Christ, it wasn't, when I look at this scene, and he's doing this, washing the feet, prophesying Judas is, he's going to be the one that dips in the oil and puts his bread out there. This is the guy that's going to betray me. Go ahead, Judas. Go ahead, Peter. I know you're going to deny me. I know you're all going to leave me. And I pick up just from Christ these key concepts. Don't, don't worry about it. Number one, his love was thoroughly intentional. He took the initiative to show his love. And he did a cultural illustration that was unmistakable. You've got to be out of your head to be, be taking the place of the slave here. Who do you think you are? You're saying you're the king, you're saying you're the Messiah, and you're wanting to bathe our feet? This is no way. And the one doing the loving, and if you read the narrative, if you read it in Luke, if you read it in Matthew, they are fighting with one another over what position they will get in the kingdom. And here the king of the kingdom is leading by stooping and serving. He was intentional. Love is always intentional. It's not waiting on you to take the first move. I hear this in people all the time. Well, it's a loving church. It's a not loving. What are you? Let's not talk about corporate love. It ought to be among all of us, but always it's always your turn to initiate. I get tired of initiating. Love doesn't get tired. You just keep doing it. So he initiates this demonstration. It's unconditional. He asks nothing from them. All you've got to supply me are dirty feet. I'll do the rest. Do you have enough love to cover people's faults? Love covers a multitude of sin. God can cover it. Why can't you? Because you're unforgiving, you're stubborn, and you're a, uh, you're a scorekeeper. And your heart is shriveling up. Love humbles itself to love. 
You're always at risk when you love. C.S. Lewis, again, is the one that talks about there's no safe risk in love. If you love anything, it can, you can lose it. Love a pet, it can die. Love a woman, she can leave you. Love a child, they can rebel. Love anything, and you can be disappointed. You hear that? Don't get married. Don't be around people. Build yourself a hut on some island where you will never see another person. I can't be hurt anymore. And as he said, Lewis says it, the only place safe from the risk of love is hell. For if you refuse to love, your heart will get so that it cannot love, for it will become hardened and calloused in the casket of yourself. There are no risk-free love relationships. I love Carolyn, and by the grace of God and the goodness of God, we've stayed together. I had no guarantee. You think you did, but you didn't. You didn't. They could leave anytime. Matter of fact, I wanted children, and I wanted to guarantee that they'd all become brain surgeons. I've given up on that. I've just said, may they not borrow any money. How do you know how your kids are going to turn out? You think, oh, oh you, you know, you're going to prevent them from having downs. You're going to prevent them from doing this. You're going to prevent them from this. And pre- wait, wait, I'm sorry. If you want to have a pregnancy and a baby, there are no guarantees. Who said that girl won't break your heart? Who immunes you from that? When did you get bigger than the human race? Kids grow up disappointing us all the time. Do you still want children? And uh, the young generation says, no. I can handle a Porsche, but I can't handle a rebellious teenager. So they're... Time Magazine ran an article, dinks, double income, no kids. Don't want to be bothered. My mom and dad had the seven, buried two. But my dad, when all of his kids came home, he would often say, a a poor man's riches are his children. And to your mom and I, you kids are our riches. Pretty sentimental, huh? You mean even after they got hooked on drugs, after they got pregnant, after they broke your heart, after they broke every vow you had, you still think it was worth it? Maybe you don't. Was it worth it to Christ, who loved these 11 men that were not demon energized, but all failed him that night? They all betrayed, as it were. They caved into their cowardice and their human here, I put myself in the narrative. I would have run for it. I wouldn't have helped. I wouldn't have stood with Jesus. I would have tried to save my own neck. Don't you? When you read the narrative, you're not Jesus in the narrative. You're the guys that bailed out. That's who you are and me. Thank God I'm not Judas. He committed an eternal sin. But you better believe it. I've been finding a place to hide. I ain't hanging out the fire having to say, it's going to cost you now to say you know this man. Forget it. I'm out. I'll, I'll see you after Easter morning, Lord. 
When the victory is sure, I'll show up and say, Whoo, I'm one of your followers, but don't ask me in the trying time. We're all cowardly. It only takes the grace of God to make us stand in the hour of test. But do we have an, and I say this without saying, was this an idiot? Jesus, you don't wash the feet of men that are going to flee you. Give him a lecture on being cowards and jerks. And on his mind, he said, you know what? I thought of one thing I'd like to do before I go to the cross. I'd like to show you men how much I love you. You'd like to do what? I'd like to show you men how much I love you. And then he does something. I've given you men a new model. I've demonstrated this love. And now I'm going to transfer this to you, my disciples. This is how I want you to treat each other. And, they, and when they heard love, they, know, they didn't think of poetry. They didn't think of uh, eros and, and the prostitution of the Greek world of that day. No, no. They always went back to John 13. There's the model. There's the template. Whatever I did there is what I want you to do to each other. There's the model. John 13. Right there. Do you wash anybody's feet, as it were? Do you minister to them, prefer them? And in our list, I was going to, the, the one another's of Scripture, I believe there's 50 of them. Listen to this. We're members of one another. We're devoted to one another. See how this love is manifested. This is the fountain. We are to love one another. Only God can do that through saving us and giving us a new nature. We're not, we're not lovers by nature. We're self-centered. The greatest commandment is love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. Love your neighbors yourself. That is the, that, that's your primary sin is you don't love anybody unless God works in your heart. You don't even love him. That's a good place to start when you pray. I don't sin. Uh, are you, did you love God fully? And none of us have ever fully loved God as he deserved in one whole day. At least I have. And to love my neighbors, myself. And then, Lord, that's enough. We're already blowing that. Now you just change the template, the new template. Are you loving people like I've loved you? Saying, Lord, I cannot stand them. They get on my nerves. My nerves are precious. They, they, I don't like them. Be the same mind one toward another. Love, edify, accept one another. These just right from the new. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Bearing with one another. Be kind to one another, submit to one another, esteeming one another, encourage one another, confessing your sins to one another, praying for one another, offering hospitality to one another, fellowshipping with one another. Say, oh, my land, I just want a place where the service lets me out in time to make lunch on time. I don't want to get in a community that acts this way well, this is what he died to form. This is what the cross is about. I'm going to purchase a new community. 
and I am willing to leave the divine community on the cross. And I'll give up that community just to purchase you and put you in the new community. And really, the Christianity that witnesses to the world and convinces the world is when they see this kind of love being demonstrated. Now, right now, I don't know if any of you love anybody in this room. You all are just staying awake. Thanks. But you, you don't hardly have a chance to do this. That's why small groups, people relationships, somewhere, where is this going on? And what are the enemies to our fellowship, grudge-bearing, conflict, difference of opinion, hurt feelings, don't feel appreciated, maybe. Uh, it, it, it just keeps one thing after the other. But Christ gave this template, and then he says, I want you to display this kind of love to one another. He's the model, and I ask this question. How far has God gone to display his love for you? And you hear the Romans passage that was put up today. For while we were going to church, while we were tithing, while we were, while we were yet sinners and without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you, me. Then he goes to verse 9. For while we were at enmity, and I confess when I found out that word enmity meant active hatred, it broke my heart because I was a thief, a cusser, a fighter, uh, a lot of other stuff, but I would never say I was a God hater. Now, that, that scared me because I grew up around Christians. I respected different people. But when he said, no, 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 when I decided to love you, you in my category were a God hater. You had enmity with me. You resisted my word. You rejected my son. And I can't tell you the three crazy sins I was involved in for the reason why I didn't want to be saved. I would not go to the altar to be saved as we practice because I had some favorite sins I wanted to be. And I knew coming to Christ in the group I ran with, you actually broke with sin. Some of you think you don't break with it. You do. And I thought, you mean you were willing to go to hell and reject God's greatest love just for three stinking sins that you laugh at now. So God has introduced us into a community and he's patiently working with all of us and saying, uh, I'm going to teach you how to love like me. I'm going to teach you how to stoop, how to intentionally show people. And I'm going to let you start in in the family of God. And so you know what your assignment ought to be this week? You ought to intentionally love somebody this week. Love, divine love is intentional. It doesn't just happen. Some of you, you won't get in a small group. You're too threatened or you, you've never heard of it. You need to get in a small group. I was in one Thursday night. I met people I'd never met before. 
I heard things out of the body of Christ. I'm always blessed. You see, I'm always doing this one-way communication. I'm always talking to you. What I need to do is hear you. I'm trying to challenge you to love one another. And that, you know, I'll, I'll share how God worked me over the other day. I was, a, I was praying. There were certain people in this church bugging me. And it wasn't my wife. Uh, and sometimes you get in church life, especially when you're dealing with issues all the time, people. And, and I, I just kind of, kind of got this kind of a negative, uh, dude, uh, ooh, that one, man, mm, man. You didn't know we went through that, did you? You just thought, they're just paid to be good. Well, that is true. We're paid to be good. You're good for nothing. I mean, no, free. You're just good. You know what God did? He just said, you know what your problem is? This church needs a better pastor, and they're stuck with you. How are you loving these people? Well, Lord, I don't want to love them right now. I want to get as far away as I can. I called you to love. You don't get that luxury. Well, I, I only want to be around people that never fail me. Uh, Dumbo, get over it. There's no such world. Well, I'm not going to love. Well, now I'm not going to love you. Because if you don't forgive your brother, I'm not going to forgive you. Did you know that prayer is constantly tied to whether you have a right attitude towards your brother? If you have a grudge, something you won't forgive, that's why your prayer life has been killed. You can't dislike and hate or hold grudges against people. And the love of God keep flowing through your heart. Whether you know it or not, we've been called to a sacrificial, intentional love in which we're seeking to get nothing back but to improve the one we love. We simply want to improve you. You know what's crazy to me is how mothers keep loving sons that go to prison. And they get interviewed, but that's my boy. I love him. And I'm saying, don't you know, woman, that he's a hood? There's something about love. It doesn't cease when the object of their love disappoints. And how quick we are to write off each other. Write them off. Write them off. You know why? We're not walking in love. The new model for us the world won't believe your message. You, you don't need PowerPoint. You don't need better preachers. You need better lovers. For when they see God's people loving one another, that's why the devil loves to see us get in a fight with each other because it loses all credibility with the world. They don't want to come where we're not loving each other, and I don't blame them. Might as well go to the bar and get drunk. Go where the non-hypocrites are. Well, let me tell you, there's hypocrites at the bar. There's hypocrites in everything. I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's why I have to repent and say, God, teach me to love and not to withhold love. Are you withholding love to anyone? In your marriage, in your relationships, it will kill us. We've got to love. This is the new community. The environment of it thrives we won't do the rest of the one another's if loving one another 
doesn't control our heart. Amen.